Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. Luke chapter 2, go back there if you would to Luke chapter 2 as we are talking about why Jesus came. We're going to touch on all the key aspects of what the Bible teaches us of the whole reason Jesus came to the earth. And it's awesome to know that it's more than just quote unquote what would be acknowledged by some as just a salvation experience because the truth is that they would be correct in saying so because salvation has an all-inclusiveness to it about what Jesus accomplished. But through the thought of just being born again, so much more than just being born again. And we're going to pick that up tonight where we left off this morning in just a moment with this part of our series on the second reason he came. But we're going to read our verses again. Luke chapter 2, reading about the, the proclamation of the birth of our Savior after he had come and the angels appeared to the shepherds. Luke chapter 2 verse 8. There were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings, or in other words, good news of great joy. Say it, good news of Great joy, which will be to all people. <clears throat> so what was that good news? There is born to you this day in the city of David. Why would he have said that? that was because that was what the prophecy said. There is born to you this day in the city of David a what? Savior. Savior who is? Christ the, Christ the Lord. So let's say it from what the original language would tell us of this. We have a Savior who is the... Deliverer, that's the word for Messiah or Christ, the Lord. He came to save us by delivering us from what we were obviously under bondage to through his lordship in our life. Verse 12, this will be a sign to you. You will find this babe. He will be wrapped in swaddling clothes and he'll be lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with that angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Verse 15, so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem. Let us see the th this thing which has, that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. They came with haste, they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. You and I should be doing the same thing. Amen? Especially during this season. So he came to do what? Save us by being our deliverer. Save us from the very things that happen relating to the fall of man. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, Wednesday night, we'll go back to Genesis and start on some other things that are revealed there. I'm not going to take time tonight to go back to the book of Genesis, but let me just refresh you of what we talked about this morning in the book of Genesis. So in relationship to the creation of man, God made man by forming his body from what? Dust, dust of the ground. Say, your body, your body is dust of the ground. Say it, my body, my body is dust of the ground. So he creates this body out of the dust of the ground in the book of Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, and he breathed into the nostrils of that literal body the breath of life. So when he breathes into the nostrils of that body the breath of life, immediately that, that body becomes a living being, and as it does, his eyes open. What's the first thing he sees? Face of God. And relating to the face of God, it's identifying. It's an identifying factor. Amen? 
Look at the person next to you. Look at their face or somebody behind you or somebody around you. And guess what you figure out? You identify that they're not you, they're somebody else. How do you know that? By their face. You couldn't tell that if you, if you looked at just from the backside of somebody because some people look similar. So the whole purpose of seeing the face of God was for what? What purpose? To gain identity. To gain where our value and worth come from. When we talk about identity, always think of that as how you value yourself. How do you value yourself? We value ourselves based on the creator, not the creation. What was he looking at? God the creator, not what God had created. And sadly, due to the fall, what did man turn his attention and focus to? Creation. It began by literally Eve herself looking at that tree and starting to desire that tree, the fruit of that tree. In relationship to that, because of the fall, what has man done ever since? Through the very deception and work of Satan. He has continued to try to find his value and worth in life through the creation. Now, that includes yourself as an individual because you can even try to find value and worth through what you do or through approval of other people or through things that you attain or get in life. If you think about how many people in relationship to life on a daily basis live out their lives and the context of their worth and value is based on what they actually have or what they don't have or whether they get approved of others or they don't or whether they think of themselves in a sense of a good person or not, all that's, on, all that's based on one thing, the creation. So all they're doing is focusing their value and worth off the creation. But our value and worth is based on one thing and one thing alone. What is that? God, which we found, of course, as we've seen according to what happened with Jesus, that relates to Jesus Christ. Because he's the one that gave us the ability to once again get our value and worth, our identity from the Father. So when, when Adam sees the Father's face, he sees a reflection of himself. Because remember what God said? Not like he, he looks identical like the face of God. So I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you see the attributes of all that God is, he's getting his identity and worth from him because he was made in his image and in his likeness. So once he lost that in the fall, what could man never do again? Couldn't see the face of God, so he could not fully get his identity from God. Adam and Eve had to hide themselves in the garden from book of Hebrews chapter, uh, book of Genesis chapter three, from the face of God. But in Hebrews, what does it talk about Jesus when he came? When he came, he then went into heaven itself after being raised from the dead. He went into the very holy of holies in the heavenly tabernacle. And he, the Bible says, went before the, it says presence in most translations, but it's the same word. The word is there, the, the word for face. It is the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew word of the face of God. He went before the face of God before us. Why? So that we can now once, once again see God. So if you begin to recognize this as it relates to what 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says, then we know and understand clearly we can regain our full identity from our heavenly father if we simply learn how to do so. And in Genesis chapter, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, trying to throw these verses out. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I'm going to add some verses tonight because this morning all I could do is kind of lay a foundation. So tonight I want to wrap up what we started talking about this morning. So the second thing, Real quick, so we're on the same page that I gave you this morning. The second thing as to why Jesus came was to do what? Get our true identity back. Don't ever say to get my identity back. Say to get my true identity. Because there's a lot of people that say they have an identity of some kind, but if it isn't from God, it's not your true identity. It's not your true identity if it's not coming from the Creator, from God Himself. But in the Old Testament, of course, times because of sin, they couldn't do that. And we actually see some other references to this here in those previous verses that we didn't have time to read this morning. 2 Corinthians 3.14, if you're there, say amen. It tells us here during the time of Moses that their minds were blinded, blinded. For until the day, notice this referring to the day of Jesus, until, or excuse me, until this day, sorry, of the day of Jesus, the same veil remains unlifted under the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in what? In Christ. Jesus is the one who removed what was clearly availed, the inability to see God for who he is in relationship to be able to not only know him, but also get identity from him. But that veil is taken away in Christ. Aren't you glad? Yes. 15, even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Referring to the old contest of the Old Testament law context, 
because the old law doesn't reveal anything of what we have of identity in God. It was simply what had to be done until Christ came. So now we read here in verse 16, nevertheless, when, you ought to underline this, when one turns to the Lord. What do they got to do? Turn to the Lord. What happens? The veil is taken away. So I want you to think about this every time you read this verse in your Bible. If you've turned to the Lord, how do you turn to the Lord? Salvation. When you and I turn to the Lord, what happens? The very veil that literally caused us to not be able to see our identity and our creator was lifted away. Why is that relating aspects of why we couldn't see God before receiving Christ to the fullness of who he is? Because of sin. Because of sin. Sin is what separated them from being able to understand and walk in a full revelation of who God is. Because God's a holy and righteous God. But when you turn to the Lord, what happens when you turn to the Lord? That sin's removed. That sin nature is taken away. You're given a brand new spirit. So now there's nothing to hinder you any longer from getting your true identity back. Other than you. God's removed the veil. Now it's up to you whether you get your true identity in God or not. It's totally based on you. You have the ability to look back to the face of God, to the creator, and get your true value and worth. Amen? Verse 17. I said amen. Amen. Now the Lord is the spirit. Now the phrase there really is the Lord is a spirit. The Lord is a spirit. He's not a context of what we think of just a physical body. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's what? So what does that really mean in the midst of what he's saying here? He's saying that if you and I remember this, uh, when, when they pronounced the birth of Jesus, they said the Savior, the Christ, uh, the, uh, uh, Savior, Christ the Lord. Lord is born. So meaning that the moment I make him the Lord of my life as a child of God, I now have the ability to walk in liberty from what I was bound to. What was I bound to before salvation? You ready? In this context of what we're talking about? False identity. You were bound to a false identity. You had no ability to see your true identity in God because the veil hadn't been lifted. The sin nature kept you from seeing the very ability to look at God and perceive in God truly where our identity comes from because once we were fallen, what does our identity relate to as a sinner? It actually relies to Satan, not to God, the author of sin. But once you turn to Jesus, that veil's lifted. What can I now do? I can look back to the Creator, can look back to the Father, and I can now see the actual aspect of what is an image of me now and therefore regain my true identity. So where the Lord is, there is what? Tell me again, please. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Well, the moment you get born again, guess guess what you have? You have that Spirit of the Lord. You can walk in liberty, and in this case, as it's referring to, you can walk in liberation of being bound by that old false identity. And we need to learn to get totally liberated from it by acknowledging our true identity as a child of God. You know, it's like anything else Jesus paid for. Are we liberated from disease and sickness? Are we liberated from depression? How about fear? Are we really? We're liberated from fear? Why do Christians still have it? Why do they deal with it? They haven't learned how to recognize and address it and know how to deal with it so they don't have to be bound by it anymore. Are there Christians still living with false identity? Yes, there are. Do they have to be? No, they don't. Because they've been given liberty from it, but we've got to understand what do we do to get totally walking in a position of freedom from this false identity? We've got to look back to the face of God. So how do we do that? Verse 18 tells you. We all with unveiled face referring to born again believers. Once we have an unveiled face, unveiled what? Unveiled what? The ability to look now from our perspective to God and regain our full identity. Notice this. We beholding as in a mirror, as in a mirror. He's not telling you go stand in your bathroom, look at your mirror. He said it's like one. It's like a mirror for the believer. Not for a sinner, but it is for the believer. Watch this. We beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. I want to talk about that again in just a moment. I want to read this to you from the Amplified, verse 18. This is the Amplified. And this will help you understand. Verse, 2 Corinthians 3.18 is how you and I get to see the face of God. 
How do we see the face of God? Through Jesus Christ. Through the Lord who went before the face of God for us and made it possible. Right? What did Jesus say again about himself? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now you could say as a Christian today, well, I can't see the Father because I can't see Jesus. Yes, you can. You most certainly can. You can see Jesus through a mirror. Through a mirror, not in your mirror, physical mirror, but you can through a mirror. Again, notice the phrase there. He said, beholding as in a mirror, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of who? The The glory of the Lord. Listen to the Amplified here. The Amplified, which just brings out further what it says here. And all of us with unveiled face because we continue to behold in the word of God. We continue to behold... In the word of God. What are we looking at as the mirror? The word of God. We continue to behold in the word of God as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Why does it say the glory of the Lord? Because it's talking about Jesus. It's talking about our Lord where the spirit of the Lord is. There is liberty. So liberty is there. It's available. We just simply got to learn how to walk in it. And as it relates to our identity, all we got to do is re-identify with the creator, not the creation. We continue to behold in the word of God as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are constantly. Now this is for those who continue to look to the word of God and see the face of Jesus. They are constantly being transfigured into his very own image. You know how that happens? They're regaining their identity. They're regaining their true, correct yourself, pastor. They're regaining their true identity. As you continue to look to the mirror in a way the Bible teaches you how to do that, you are continually doing what? Regaining your true identity. Therefore, being transfigured into his very own image in ever-creasing splendor from one degree of glory to another. What do you mean one degree of glory? What's the glory? Manifest presence of God. Back into the point of what Adam and Eve had before they actually fell to sin, right? Why could they not see their nakedness? Because the glory of God was on their life. But we can continue to go back to that aspect of lifestyle from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now I know some people would think, I don't see how we could have that type of glory on us. Did not the Bible say you're the light of the world? How are they going to see that light? Let me help you. This is a powerful understanding of how they can see that light better through you. You ready? Regain your your identity through God and guess what's going to happen? That glory is going to get brighter on your life. They're going to see your light. You know how they're going to see it? To them, it's not like, and and honestly, although I've heard testimonies, I've heard testimonies of people seeing, you know, like a glory or a a light. They don't describe it as a glory, but kind of like a light. Jerry Savelle one time, good friend of our pastors, Jerry Savelle one time was in a mall. I think he was with one of his uh, daughters, I believe. I can't remember. But he was in a mall and they were just in a, in, you know, going through some shops. He was needing to buy, or she was buying stuff or he was buying some stuff that they had stopped in this mall. And he said, they're actually down an aisleway with these tall, you know, shelves with stuff on them. And all of a sudden, this lady comes around a corner and walks up to him. And, and she said, I need to talk to you. I don't remember all the exact wording, but I need to talk to you. Why? She said, because I was walking by this store and I was crying out to God. And all of a sudden I turned and as I looked to the store, I just saw that what looked like a light moving. Now realize she's seeing that through shelves, through rows of, uh, right. r- rows of uh, you know, shelves of stuff, items. I just see this kind of glowing light. So I'm like, what is that? And so she walks in the store and she's walking and she gets around to one of the aisles and turns and she said, as I turned to the aisle to come down the aisle, there you were. And guess what he did? Letter to the Lord. You are the light of the world. If you find your full value and worth and identity in God, you're going to be transformed from glory to glory. From one degree of glory to a greater degree of glory. Well, how will that impact your life personally? Major. You know what you won't sound like anymore? You won't sound like the people of the world. In the midst of all the gloom and doom and depression and frustration and fears and, and all these worries and everything going on, guess what? That won't come out of your mouth. 
let me, let me back up a little bit. So in relationship to walking in the image of God, who God made you to be, and finding your full value and worth in him, what would you look like? What would you look like? Jesus. What would you sound like? Jesus. What would you think like? Jesus. Where does Jesus get his full identity and worth? The Father. Who is Jesus, Son of God? What are you? You're sons and daughters of God. Can I get a better amen? amen. It's, it's sad to think that Christians don't realize they could live this way. They could live, live this kind of life, but they can. I said they can. And you know what you don't do? You don't get it from hours of battling and trying to uh, attain it or gain it. No, you get it by regaining your identity from the Father. So where is this mirror? It is the Word of God. But it's not, in essence, what we would just say the whole Bible, although Jesus has revealed much throughout the whole Bible. But what is it relating to? The Lord. The Lord Jesus. The one who died for us and made this possible. The one who took the veil away. Because again, Jesus said, if you've seen me, who have you seen? You've seen the Father. So how do we see Jesus? Through the mirror. Through the mirror of what? The Word. Now here becomes the challenge. So how do we see Jesus Context to the mirror of the word where we can then see and know and recognize the face of the Father and regain our identity through his redemptive work. Amen. You could read about him, a lot of people have in the Gospels, and you should. But just reading about him doesn't really explain or give you an understanding of what Christ, the Messiah, the Deliverer, did for you. But when you find out what the Deliverer did for you, you regain a picture of the face of God. Amen. And you regained your identity. All right. I've taught this many times in this church. Some may have never heard it. So don't just think that this, you know, service is all about you. Praise God. But it is about you because guess what you need to do? Be reminded of it. And continue to work on a greater understanding of it. When I started uh, getting into this part of our study, you know, I, a lot of times you battle as a pastor. You think, well, pastor, you think, well, I, I say, well, Lord, I've taught this so many times. Doesn't matter. Not everybody's got it yet. <clears throat> Not only that, some need to get a better revelation of it. Look how it's still affecting their life. And they shouldn't allow this to be a part of their life. Amen? The old identity. So how do we look to the Word of God to clearly see this new picture, or excuse me, this picture of Jesus and this new aspect of our new nature and who we are? Go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. So what you have to focus on in the mirror, in the Word of God, is what Jesus our Lord did... To be able to regain our identity in God. What Jesus did to regain our identity in God. So there are four truths in the Bible that relate to this. You can study it out in detail yourself. Recognizing all of Christ, what Christ did. But you're going to find these four words that are going to come up over and over and over again in relationship to Jesus. Because they are a, they're, they're a work of what Jesus did to restore us back to the Father and therefore regain our identity. And this is how you see the face of God through the Word of God, by seeing what Jesus did. Romans chapter 5, I'm going to give you the first one here. I'm going to give you all four tonight. Normally, I would take a week to two weeks to study just one of these with you individually because there's so much on them. But this is just a concise, put-together, short version uh, going into our Christmas season of what Jesus did for us. Romans 5, 17, if you're there, say Amen. amen. Listen carefully to these words. If by one man's offense, one man's what? Offense. So that's something that he did. That is something that he did, this act of sin that Adam committed. For if by one man's offense, death did what? Reign through the one, much more. Now aren't you glad again, God isn't like a barely get by God. Right? Much more. Say much more. Watch it. Those who receive what? The abundance of grace. Well, I don't know if I received that. Are you born again? Yeah, then you've received abundance of grace. Much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of what? Say it's a gift. So righteousness is never earned. What is righteousness? Once you think about this, it means to have right standing with God. What's significant about that right standing with God? Don't ever forget this. What's significant about having right standing with God? It gave me the right... To what I have available to be as a child of God. Amen. What does righteousness do? Gives me the right. Thank you, Lord. 
gives me the right to all of what Jesus has provided for me through relationship with God, the covenant that I have with God. So righteousness cannot be earned. It is a gift. It cannot be in any way through your own personal work or, or willpower or ability attained. It's only by faith in Jesus that you receive this gift of righteousness. Once I have this gift of righteousness, what do I have? A right. Yes, Lord. You got to look at it like a quote unquote, a person that wrote a will, a, a will and they put you in that will. Right. Well, what made it possible for you to be in that will? If they put you in that will, not out of earning it because they loved you. That's just a gift they want to leave to you because they love you and they truly want to honor you with what is a gift that they're leaving behind. Well, that's what God did. Jesus paid the price for us to have this gift. But once I have righteousness, what do I have? I do have right standing with God, but what does that provide for me? A right to all that God has provided for me. The devil doesn't want you to know that. So again, those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, notice this. You ready? Underline it. You can shout if you want. They will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. How are you going to reign in life? So what do you mean reign in life? What do you mean reign in life? If I get my value and worth and identity back from God, what am I walking like on the planet? A little God. That still offends some people today. You're not a little God. You're made in the image and likeness of God. You're not God. You're not a creator. God, there's only one creator. Right? But if you're a son or daughter of God, hey, you know what? You know what I am? I'm a little Jerry. I'm a little Helen. My dad's name is Jerry, not Springer. Ushers, carry him to the back and just kick him out the door. And he would call his pastor. Josh, tie him down, gag him. <laughs> have, have you ever heard this phrase, a chip off the old block? So where that phrase came from actually was from a preacher, they believe, back in the 1800s. So if you took anybody, you know, Don could tell you, if you took a block of wood and a chip came off of it, how would you know what it came from? You could take it back and match it up to that original block and recognize, well, that's where that came from. I'm a part of Jerry Baker. I'm a part of Helen Baker. Because they are where I got my DNA from. You listening? The natural. Has natural parents. But what about a spirit being? Well, I didn't get my spirit from them. Guess where my spirit came from? I'm a little God. You're a little God. He breathed on you to get born again. You are a little God. Not a God who can go around and just determine to do whatever you want in the creation. No. I'm just saying, though, you are a chip off the old block. You listening? So realize the significance of this because, again, that's where your identity comes from. That's where your value and worth come from. we got to be careful because in the natural, yes, my dad is Jerry Baker. Yes, my mom was Helen Baker. But guess what? I don't get my identity from them. They allowed me to come into this earth for natural birth, but God's the one that gave me my spirit at the time I was actually created in my mother's womb. And therefore, once I got born again after having lost that by knowledge of sin, what did I get back? I got the ability to get my true identity back from the Father where I really came from. Can I get a better amen? Tell your neighbor, you're a chip off the old block. You're a little God. So understand this, that you got to recognize what he's telling you here about what we have available to us was made available through what one person did, Jesus Christ. Not what you are, not what you or I do or don't do. Watch this, 18. Therefore, as through again, one man's offense, what Adam did in sin, what came, judgment came to what? All men resulting in what? So guess what all men already are? They're already condemned. When people say, don't condemn me, I'll, I'll tell you what, you, I'm not condemning you. Now, you're, you're, you may be trying to if you're telling them, well, you're going to hell. You're not supposed to tell them that. There's no verse gives you the right to tell them that. You don't know if they won't get saved or born again before they pass away. You don't, you don't have knowledge of all things, right? We could, we could identify through the Bible, not an individual person. We could identify through the Bible what the Bible talks about about certain types of persons, 
that if they don't repent and obviously receive Christ as their Savior, yes, they would wind up in hell. I don't have the right to tell any individual they're going to go there. All I can tell them is if you don't obviously receive Christ as your Savior, you're making a choice to go there. But condemnation came to all men because of sin. 18, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, underline this, through one man's righteous act. Say it with me. Through one man's righteous act. Now, this just addresses the first key of seeing the face of God. But you got to remember this for this first key. It's not because of what you've done. It's because of what one man, Jesus, through his doing what was right to pay the price for our sin, what he did. Notice this, this free gift, free gift thing came to what? All men. It's available to all men, resulting in what? What would it result in? So the first thing of how you see the face of God is through what we call the work of justification. How do I see the face of God and regain my identity? Number one, through the work of justification. As you look to the work of justification, guess what it tells you? I have not been given right standing with God because of what I've done. I gain total, complete acceptance of right standing with God because of what one man did, Jesus Christ. Now, when you actually include this in your notes, the word justification, what you need to add to an understanding of the aspect of that word justification is you need to add this to that understanding of that word. I'm accepted by God. I'm accepted by God. Meaning what? I'm not accepted on the grounds of what I do or don't do. If I have to prove myself in some way to God to get accepted by God, then the work of justification was a waste of time. The work of justification is a statement, and it's true. If you look it up in the actual definition, it actually refers to this. It's just as if you've never sinned. To receive justification means I'm in a position with God just as if I've never sinned. Well, that can't be true, Pastor, because I did. Your new spirit man hasn't. Your old spirit man did. Your new spirit man's perfect. How do we know? Because the Holy Spirit lives in him. If, if your new spirit man wasn't perfect, God couldn't have anything to do with you. God couldn't come live in you because guess what God can't reside in? Sin. He cannot. Say this, because of justification, I've already been accepted by God. Now you can probably already tell I'd like to preach about 45 minutes to an hour on each one of these. But I got to cut these really, really close here so we can get through all four of them. I want to get all four of them in on this teaching. Now you understand why I couldn't put all that in this morning's message. I had to show you that you got to regain your identity by seeing the face of God once again. But how do we do that? We do it through the face of Jesus. How do we see the face of Jesus? One, justification. Because what are we focusing on? What he did. So this one man's righteous act, I no longer find my identity and worth in what I do. I still battle with this as a pastor sometimes. You still try to, in many ways as a pastor, try to have your congregation be happy with you, pleased with you, that you can help them, that you can truly show them things that you want to help them with, etc. But you know what? I can't live my life to please you. If I do, I will walk in a false identity. Guess what happens if you live your life to please somebody else? You're going to walk in a false identity. What if you live your life in such a way that the only way you can feel good about yourself, find value and worth, is when you live perfect and do everything just right or attain to the standard that you feel you're to live by or whatever in relationship to whatever aspect of things you do in your life that makes you feel justified as if I'm right again with God. Well, I'll guarantee you what, you're not going to do anything of your own power, strength, or ability to ever begin, begin to be made right with God. Jesus did that for you. By one man's righteous act. One man. Say, I already have it. So how does it apply to our life? Well, multiple ways. Number one, in my life as an example, a big part of what anything you do in life can turn into this. I mean, I love the challenge of bull riding. Now, don't don't get me wrong. I don't know why. You know, God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Only answer I got. I don't know why a lot of people think you're pretty foolish and stupid to ride bulls. I don't know. That's pretty crazy. But a bareback rider? Man. (laughs) 
Wow, at least I had my legs around what I was holding on to. He didn't, you know. <laughs> but, but the point is, I began to find my value and worth through the success of my bull riding. If I was successful, that caught the attention of people. That caused them to look at you as somebody important, somebody big. And that made me feel good about me. Guess what that's called? False identity. We're not supposed to be, we're not supposed to have pride in what we do? No. No, pride is, the Bible's clear, pride comes before a fall. It doesn't mean you can't take, uh, you know, uh, how would we say it? Not pride, that you, you can certainly, uh, excuse me? You could take, um, you know, you could take delight in doing a good job and doing something that is, it's pleasing to you to do a good job. You should want to do good. And nothing wrong with wanting to do stuff right. That's not what we're talking about. But if that's where your value and worth come from, now you got a problem. Now, a lot of people would even say, well, that doesn't affect me. Question, does other people's inabilities to live up to your standards affect you? <clears throat> Go ahead. You can say it. You're preaching better now, Pastor. See, most people only look at justification as it relates to their ability to do stuff. No, the person that lives under this false identity of not walking in justification also allows it to affect how they view other people. Because when other people don't live up to their standard, they get angry and frustrated. Jesus didn't. You listening? Oh, he might have told his disciples, man, how long am I going to be with you guys? You know, when you're going to get this, I can't stay around forever. But the point is, he wasn't finding his value and worth as to whether his disciples did everything perfect or not. Why would we? You listening? I mean... I used to be pretty bad about wanting our home perfect, and guess what you're not going to have? Everything in your home is not going to be perfect. And I began to realize, you know, it's a whole lot nicer to have in relationship to a marriage. It's a whole lot nicer to have peace in your home than what you think is the perfect home or the perfect marriage. Y'all know I'm the perfect husband. <laughs> I always love to put that in there. It always brings a great smile to Kathy's face. Because she knows it's true. <laughs> Wait a minute. I ain't done with my statement though. So let me clarify. You know how you know if you're the perfect husband or perfect wife? You know that there is no perfect husband. And there is no perfect wife. So we can even allow this to have a reverse effect on our life with other people. Because they don't live up to our standard. Well, why would you be so concerned about them living up to your standard? That's where you get your value and your worth. And that's a false belief. But there's an answer for it. I said there's an answer for it. It's called the work of justification. Not your work, his. One man's righteous act. So because of justification, say that please. I have already been fully accepted by God. How do I know that? I've been made right with God. I have the gift of righteousness. I, Daryl Baker, no longer have to live up to some standard that I put in my life or somebody else puts on me to feel good about me. To find true value and worth. You know why? Jesus already got that for me. I'm not going to go into heaven Walking in that aspect of what I have available to me in heaven because I'm right with God because of what I've done or haven't done. I'm going to do, I'm going to walk into heaven because of what Jesus did. Amen. The one that made me right. So if I've already been made the righteousness of God and if you're born again, you have. You've received justification. Why do you keep bringing up righteousness? Because to be justified means to be declared right with God. They tie together. Every time you see anything that refers to righteousness as you as a believer, it's the, it, that's the work of justification. What did the work of justification do? Made me right with God. Made me right with God. And yet people all the time in relationship to their words, listen how much they would demean themselves or maybe even some ways exalt themselves. People do both. 
in relationship to this lie, this, this false identity, in relationship to how they live, they may demean themselves a lot. Well, I just know I haven't done. Well, I'm not that, and I'm not that, and I'm not like them. God didn't mean you for to be, to be like them. And you could probably look at it. We, not probably. You could look at everybody's life and say, well, look, they haven't done this, and they haven't done this, and this. It doesn't mean that they're not truly valuable and worthy to God, because guess what? They are, and that's not where their worth comes from. Any good amens on that? Now, I wish I had more time. I got to move on. But you got to recognize in th- this in your life based on how easily do you get frustrated when people don't do things the way you want it done? Why does it always have to be your way, by the way? I'll repeat it in case you didn't hear it. Why does it always have to be your way? Kathy can tell you I was like that a lot. You listening to me? Some way she thinks I still am. I said, no. I know I was like that. I'm sorry. I'm working on helping you understand that I'm not like that anymore. I've learned, I don't care how you do stuff around the house. You do it your way. Don't matter to me. Right. You listening? Yes. But you got to be careful that you're not the one saying, so everything's got to be the way I want it. Right. And if it's not, I'm not happy. Right. I'm going to tell you why. Because you're finding your value and worth in what you do. You listening? Man, I'm already out of preaching time and I got three more to go. Say, made right with God. So this is a gift that you've received, and you've got to understand that when you look to the Word, here's how you see the face of God and regain your identity. Look at all of what the New Testament talks about, about justification and righteousness. And it's all based on Jesus. And if you continue to recognize that and address that in your life, guess what you'll walk in? You'll walk in your true identity. I can actually live through a day without everything being done the way I want or me even living up to what standard I place on myself and still find total value and worth in God. Live at peace, be happy, full of joy. You listening? You know, for some people, they need to learn. A happy home is far better than, you know, an absolute spotless clean home. Thank you for all your amens on that. We've got to move on, or I'm going to have to get into marriage counseling tonight. back Back up in Romans 5. Back up in Romans 5 to verse 9. Look at verse 9, same chapter. Much more than having now been, underline it, justified by what? So see, every time you see these phrases, what should you recognize about that? What should you actually, let me help you. I'm already accepted by God. I don't have to perform, nor does anybody else have to perform to make me happy, to bring me joy, because God already did that by accepting me. He accepted me just the way I am. By putting my faith in Jesus, I'm already now fully accepted. Glory to God. I said glory to God. So you got to recognize this when you go through these scriptures and you see those things. Because when you recognize them, what are you doing? You're seeing the face of God. And when you do, you're regaining your identity through Jesus Christ for what he did. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, verse 9, we shall be saved from wrath through him. We're going to get to that one in a minute. Notice this, for if when we were enemies, we were, when we were enemies, we were what? Reconciled. What were we reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been, there it is again, reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. 11, and not only that, but we also rejoice in God through what? We rejoice in God through what? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Notice this, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Guess what the second word is? Reconciliation. If you want to see the face of God, you got to understand reconciliation. So reconciliation means I have now been restored back into a loving, intimate relationship with the Father. I'm not only right with him, I now have intimacy once again with the Father, just like Adam had in the garden before the actual fall. Here's the word you got to tie to the aspect of what the Bible talks about, about reconciliation. Justification means I'm what? Accepted. Reconciliation, I have his approval. I got, I'm sorry, I've got those reversed. Correct your papers. I apologize. Justification, I am approved by God. Reconciliation, I am accepted by God. Yes. So reverse the tape all the way back to the start. But 
I get them confused sometimes. Justification, I'm trying to get this in one setting. Justification means what? I have already been what? Approved, approved by God. Fully approved. Like you put a stamp on something, approved. But reconciliation means what? I've been accepted. I'm accepted back into right relationship with God because of reconciliation. I was an enemy, but I've been reconciled. So this is clear in relationship to what we have in Christ Jesus. We have received the reconciliation, meaning I was an enemy. I no longer am. So if I'm not an enemy of God, what does that mean? I'm a friend of God. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. You're my friends because of what he was going to do for them. And therefore, guess what you don't need? I don't need your approval. I don't need some famous person's approval. I don't even need my parents' approval. Not wrong to get it. Relationship doing stuff right. But I don't need their approval to feel good about me. I've got God's. It's not based on what you do. It's based on who you are. It's based on reconciliation. It's based on the fact that I've been restored back into a loving, intimate relationship with the Father. Could I get an amen on that? Amen. Turn the air on, guys. I'm, a, I'm hot up here. Reconciliation. Justification, I have been made right with God because I have right standing with God. Guess what? I'm already approved by Him. Reconciliation, because I've been restored into an intimate relationship with God, I've already been what? Accepted by Him. I don't need your acceptance. I don't need somebody else's acceptance. I don't need somebody's like on, on uh, Facebook. Right. Go to 1 John chapter 2. I don't need somebody's like or approval on Facebook. Look at all the people today, man, in relationship to this life that just totally get upset on social media because somebody doesn't like their post. Or worse yet, they speak against their post. Mm. Oh, my. oh, I don't agree with that. I don't like this. You don't need their approval. I said you don't need their approval. Amen. You already got God's. Aren't you glad? You and I have to stop trying to get the approval of other people to do what? Find our identity. You've already got God's. If God's already approved of me, guess what I don't need? Yours. Could I get a better amen? Amen. I don't mean we go around treating people, you know, in a way that's not right biblically. I don't need your approval, bless God. No, but you just don't what? You don't allow whether they approve of you or not to affect how you feel about you. You know what you remind yourself? God loves me. God's already approved of me. He has already reconciled me to him. 1 John chapter 2. You still with me? Can you handle two more? We're, we're really doing okay on time. I set my timer pretty short. 1 John chapter 2 verse 1. My little children, said so that'd be every believer. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have what? What do we have? An advocate with a father. What's an advocate? He's a go-between. Jesus the righteous how is he our advocate if we sin as a believer how is he verse 2 he himself is the propitiation for our sins plural not sin nature here he's talking about sins you commit after you've been born again he's what the propitiation for our what our sins not only for ours but also for who whole world as well so we know clearly he's talking to believers here So what do we see here in relationship to what Jesus Christ, again, gives us a picture of our true identity and value and worth in God? The work of number three, propitiation. Propitiation. What does that actually mean? Jesus bore the punishment my sin deserved. Jesus bore the punishment my sin deserved. So how is it that people allow this to cause them to walk in a false identity? They actually believe they deserve to be punished when they do wrong. Well, I deserve to be punished. You know how that comes out? Well, I know God can't bless me. Well, I know this bad thing happened and God did it because after all, look how I've lived. Look what I've done even since I've been a believer. That's a lie. That's a lie. You're trying to, again, recognize a false identity in relationship to who you no longer are. You're no longer deserving as a spirit being of punishment. You are under a time of grace in which God will not punish you, thus saith the Bible, because Jesus, through the work of propitiation, did what? Bore your punishment. There is a judgment to come. There is wrath to come. As a believer, there's two judgments that will come in the context of the end of times. One's called the judgment seat of Christ. One's called the white throne judgment. 
Guess what's going to happen, everybody, at the white throne judgment? They're going to experience the wrath of God. They rejected what Christ offered them. You're going to go through the judgment seat of Christ. That's a good judgment. You're not going to, God's not going to pour his wrath out on you. He's going to judge on how you lived your life here as a believer. And if you did things in the line, uh, line of what God said we should do as a believer to honor God with our life, guess what he's going to do? Reward us. He's going to give us crowns. You're going to get to keep them? No. Why am I going to get them? You're going to get to present them to your King Jesus. To thank him for what he did for you. Thus saith the Bible. But realize you and I got to understand a lot of Christians still beat themselves up horribly for things they've done wrong. I have a question for you. If God's not punishing you, why are you? The reason that you would be punishing yourself is because you're getting your identity back to the work of justification, which can also tie to propitiation, meaning that you feel you deserve to be punished. You, you might, in the natural of what you did, might deserve to be punished, but God's not going to punish you. Question, if I live a carnal life, am I going to reap bad results? Yes. Is God punishing me? No. no. What am I getting? A result of my lifestyle. So to the flesh you reap corruption. Is God punishing me? No. No. Not at all. So I can't sit here and blame God for that because God's not the one doing it. I might be doing it to myself. I said I might be doing it to myself. But where propitiation comes in is you don't ever look back to the God who loves you, who doesn't want you to pull away from him and think he must be judging me now. No, he's not. Because of propitiation, guess what? You as a spirit being don't deserve to be judged. Jesus already took your punishment. He already took your judgment. He already bore it for you. I like a better amen than that. You know, when you teach on that, a lot of people say, well, you teach that, man. Christians are just going to go out and live in sin. No, they're not. No, 1 John, in the actual context of 1 John, later on in chapter 2 and 3, tells you that a true believer, chapter 2 primarily, a true believer doesn't have a desire to sin. No, they have no such heart's desire in them. Any person that would has either truly, quote, unquote, fallen and backslidden to God and or just never been born again. Say, I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. What does that mean? If I now sin in this life, is God going to punish me? No, Jesus already bore that punishment. Will I reap bad results if I keep living in sin? Yes, because sin still has consequences. You listening? I mean, come on. Is it a sin for me to go out and have an affair with another woman while I'm married? Well, if I do that, am I going to reap consequences for that? You better believe I am. Yeah, you better believe it. I might receive the wrath of Kathy. (laughs) I won't get the wrath of God. Why? Jesus bore my punishment. That's hard for some people to believe. But either he fulfilled the work of propitiation or he did not. And he did. He's an advocate. He's a go-between. Aren't you glad to know even when you miss it? So we got to remind ourselves of this. We got to remind ourselves of this. Not only when you acknowledge and confess your sin, does God obviously release you and forgive you? What what do you got to do? Forgive yourself. And stop punishing yourself for things you've done. If you know you've done wrong, well, correct it. Correct it. Father, thank you that I'm not going to be punished for this by you because Jesus bore my punishment. That's what you're supposed to remind yourself of. Last one. You got time for one more? Titus chapter 3. One of the pastoral epistles to young pastor Titus from Paul by the Holy Spirit. Book of Titus chapter 3. You really need to take time to recognize these truths in the New Testament because they help you see what? The true face of God. The true face of God is what? Guess what? You're not going to earn your rights with me. I've already given them to you. That's God. That's God. How many Christians are still trying to earn stuff? They are, many. What are they falling under? False identity. God says, that's not me. I'm not trying to make you earn anything. You listening? By one man's righteous act, you got the rights to everything that I have available to you because you're my child. If you don't believe that, man, I want to preach on this stuff. If you don't believe that, go read the prodigal son story. They both had the same problem. The one that sinned and the one that stayed home. They both had the same problem. You know what their problem was? Go study it. They got their actual value in life through what they did. The one that sinned knew he had done wrong. Guess what he didn't feel he had a right to anymore? He didn't feel like he had a right to live in his father's house. 
Did he say, man, I'm going home, getting my room back? Is that what he said? Now, I just want to go be a servant. Meaning, well, I don't have the right to get back in my father's house for what I've done. But when he came home, guess what the father proved? That ain't true. Why did he put a robe on him? Why did he, why did he put a ring back on his finger, sandals on his feet, and throw a party for him? Because you woke up to the reality that you've been living the wrong kind of life. But that never caused you to not be my son. You were as much my son in sin in the, in the hog pen as you were when you were living with me before you went. It doesn't change that you're my son, and therefore it doesn't change that you're okay and right with me. You still have a right to all I have. Otherwise, why did he put the robe on him? Did he earn that right? No, he didn't. He had it as a right because he was a son. What did the other one do? Well, he got mad. He was out working in the field because he was the one that never left home. Right? And felt like, man, I got to stay home, be the one to do everything right the side of my dad. Come on. I know, I know my younger brother took off and he's an idiot. And he's living wrong, but that ain't going to be me. I'm going to prove my dad that I do good. And then the other one comes home. He doesn't know it. And he walks back to the house after working one day and he hears a party going on. Come on. And he, as he hears, what's going on? He asks the servant, well, your brother came home instead of shouting and celebrating, saying glory to God and running in and being glad that God got his life right with his father. Again. He was already right in the sense that obviously he's a son, but I'm talking about doing what was right in the sight of God. Instead of getting all excited about that, what does he say? Well, how come he's having a party? Why does he get a party? He wouldn't go in. Father comes out and says, come on, son. Aren't you glad that your brother's home? Wait a minute, Dad. I've never done wrong like him. What's he basing his worth on? What he did. They both had the same problem. They just responded differently. You never threw a party for me. Son, all that I've had has always been yours. You know why his dad didn't throw a party for him? Guess why his dad didn't throw a party for him? He didn't ask him. He didn't ask him. Dad, can I have a party? Sure, absolutely, man. You're my child. This is a part of your life here in this home. Absolutely, man. You're the one that's helped me raise all these cattle. You bet, man. Absolutely. Throw a party. Bring your friends over. Have a good time. Not like drunken party. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Just have a good time with your friends. Can I get a better amen? amen. You can tell I want to preach on these. And I actually kind of am. <laughs> and I kind of am. I really am. Titus 3, verse 4. When the kindness, say kindness. When the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared. When did the kindness and the love of God our Savior appear? When Jesus came. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. You'll see these four things entangle themselves all the time. Because it's the picture of the face of God. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Verse 5, underline it. But according to his mercy, he saved us. According to his what? What's mercy mean? I ain't getting what I deserved. It's a merciful God. Through how? Through the washing of... Come on, tell me out loud. The washing of regeneration and therefore the renewing of the... Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit came to live in you, whom he poured out on us abundantly, abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having now been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of what? Eternal life. In the midst of this justification work, of being restored back to right standing with God, what else do we get? You ready? Regeneration. Number four. Regeneration. So what does regeneration mean? You ready? Yes. You are a, it's simple. You are a new creation in Christ. Yes. You're not who you used to be. You're a new creation in Christ. You're a new person on the inside. What if you start waking up to who you now are and finding your identity in God? Guess what that's going to do? That's going to cause you as a believer to start doing things you didn't think was possible. Because the lie of the person who falls under the old identity is, here's the lie. Well, you know, this is the way I've been. This is the way I'll always be. Wait a minute, wait a minute. This is the way you've been, meaning the old nature. This is the way you'll always be? No. You've received the work of regeneration. Meaning what? You can change anything about your life. 
You can change anything about your life to now walk in the image and likeness of God that you've become on the inside. The lie of the devil to keep us from that is to make us think that the way that we're living our lives based on old habits, old ways of thinking, old ways of doing, well, this is just the way I've always been. I'm not going to change. Have you ever heard anybody, not you probably, have you ever heard anybody say, not you, probably not you, but have you ever heard anybody say, you know, this is just the way I am? Or even some attribute that actual credit to God. Well, this is the way God created me. If it ain't God-like, he didn't create you that way. Can I get a better amen? Amen. So the lie of the devil who wants to keep you under a false identity is, guess what? You are who you are. You can't change. I can't change. Let me help you, devil. I've had a radical change. I've had a radical transformation called regeneration by the Holy Spirit who came in and gave me a brand new spirit recreated in Christ Jesus as a new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, guess what you are? You are a new creation. And because I've changed on the inside, what can I do now on the outside? Become like God. Walk in the image and the likeness of who God made me to be. Because I'm not who I used to be. What we should do when we deal with wrong old identity issues of how we used to live in the carnal nature and we see those, what we should start doing when we see those things is say, well, I know that's who I used to be. But that ain't who I am anymore. And I'll guarantee you what, whether you know it or not, and unintentionally most of the time, God, or excuse me, the devil will use other people to try to keep you there. Well, you know, you always do this. Here I go with marriage counseling again. Well, you always say that. Well, they do, Pastor. Let me help you. You're not helping them to get free. Guess what you're reminding of? Guess what you're reminding them of? Their old identity. Their old identity. What you ought to say is, you know, I know you've done this before, but I know that's not you. Amen. <laughs> Go ahead, man. Shake your neighbor and say, he's helping you whether you're listening or not. I'll tell you right now, he's helping you. I teach parents this all the time when we teach on parenting. What's one of the greatest, and, and you parents, many of you have done such a great job of this. What's one of the greatest things you should learn to instill in your kids as they're growing up? When they do something of the old Adamic outer fleshly nature, what should you do? You should look at them and say, now, darling, that's not you. If they're born again, what do you say? That's not you. That's not who you are. See, help them start learning. Don't identify with that. That's not who you are. Let me tell you who you are. You're a child of God. You love Jesus. And that's not you. That's that old nature trying to take over, but that's not you. No, no, no. Relate to that new nature. That new nature does the opposite. That new nature does this, not that. That's who you are. I'm not saying that in case if they obviously continue to rebel, that there's not correction needed as the Bible teaches. Sure there is. All the kids said. Yeah, see, I knew I'd probably not get many amens on that. Maverick probably said amen because Maverick would amen me no matter what because he loves his pastor. And, and that's what I love about Maverick because he will always amen his pastor. Even if he doesn't know what I'm talking about. Because I was just talking about you getting disciplined by your parents. Can I get an amen on that now? Oh, I'll give you a fist bump on that one. I think you need to show up with your blow-up snow, snow costumes. <laughs> you know what's going to happen Wednesday night, right? <laughs> well, pastor told me I could wear it. I can hear Brady now. You ain't wearing that church. Pastor said, go listen to his message. <laughs> but what if we started instilling this in our kids early on? That's not you. And just saying now, bless God, you stopped it. You always do that. You don't know. What if you turned that around and said, hey, honey, hey, darling, hey, sweetheart, hey, son, hey, daughter. That's not who you are. That's not who you are. Let me show you who you are according to the word of God. Your love, your joy, your peace. You're not rebellion. Your submission. You listening? You're honoring. You're honoring of your parents because that's who you are on the inside. And if you start teaching a child that early on, guess what you're already directing them to? The new 
nature. Not the old nature. We might need to do it with some adults, though. What do you think? (laughs) Praise the Lord. All right, quick review. Come on. I hope I helped you tonight. Justification means what? I've been made right with God. Therefore, I've what? Got his approval. I don't get approval by what I do. I've already got his approval. Reconciliation, already been accepted by God. Because he paid the price to restore me into an intimate relationship with him. I love you, church, but I don't need your approval. Has anybody ever figured that out any length of time being here with my preaching? I mean, there's preachers that will preach to get your approval. Sorry, I ain't one of them. I want to help you walk in truth. I know some people don't like that, but I'm not to tickle your itching your pastor. Propitiation. What's propitiation mean? That means God's not going to punish me. Therefore, why would I punish myself? Well, I deserve to be punished. Who said? Who said you deserve to be punished? I'll tell you who told you that. Your old nature did. Because if you deserve to be punished, then what Jesus did wasn't sufficient. You didn't hear that. If you deserve to be punished, then what Jesus did was not sufficient for your punishment. But it was. It was. And the last one, regeneration. Meaning what? Quit saying. This is the way I am. This is the way I've always been. This way I'll always be. It's not going to change. Ridiculous. You've totally had a radical transformation on the inside. You are a complete brand new creation on the inside. And the more you get a picture of that new image in your life through the word of God in these four works, it'll change you on the outside. You don't have to live under a false identity any longer. Jesus came not only to restore God's presence to us, but also to do what? Regain our identity back. Our true identity. And thank God we can. The more you continue as a believer. Now listen. This won't work for you hearing it in one sermon. But these four words. They do to me all the time. These four words should stand out to you. Just like absolute beacons through the New Testament. And every time you see them. What you're recognizing is. That's a part of my redemption. And therefore part of my identity. That's a part of my redemption. And therefore my identity. That's a part of my redemption. And therefore, my identity. The two you'll see the most, because the other key off of that is justification and reconciliation. Those are the two you'll see the most. Because propitiation and regeneration is based off of those two things. Aren't you happy about that? Would you stand to your feet? Let me pray for you tonight. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.